For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. It's good to be with you, everyone. I'm going to try and do something a little bit different today, so if it's a disaster, I just won't do it again, but we'll see how we go. I'm going to use a whiteboard. Now, let me pray, and then it'd be good to know if God cares, cares for us, right? That'd be a good thing to find out. So let's, uh, let's spend our time together wrestling with that, that's true or not. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give you great thanks so we can come together, enjoy each other's company, on this windy, blustery morning, but also now as we have heard your word read and now we're going to just consider it for a moment, that we, that we consider your care for us. Not just that you do, but how you care for us, how deep your care actually goes, how your care goes beyond this life into all eternity. And so maybe, Father, today, renew us in our thinking about who you are and what Jesus has done. Amen. All right, so let me ask you, um, how, when do you feel like someone actually cares for you? Like, how do you know? Well, when do you feel like it? What is it? When they ignore you? That's when you know someone actually really cares for you. When they ignore you, or when it only takes 20 times to ask them to put the bin out, or instead of saying, I love you, uh, words are more passive-aggressive and a little bit more full of spite. Or when someone is upset and because of a tough day at work, and instead of maybe talking to them and seeing how they are, you walk into the other room and watch the TV. Is that how you show someone you care for them? I would have thought not. Okay? You don't show someone you care for them by doing things that are the opposite. You actually show someone you care for them by when you do something that they value, that will help them out with what's needed. And that's what we do with our loved ones, the loved ones that you're sitting next to today, the loved ones 
that you have all around the place uh, that are in this room now, your friends, your family and others. You think about them. Now, when we think about how others care for us, we get an idea of what caring is like. We kind of know when someone's cared or not cared for us. But how can we know God cares for us? We could just rely on platitudes. Sometimes what Christianity has done, we could just rely on platitudes and say, smile, God loves you. And if you just say that over and over and over again, maybe that'll just seep in and then all of a sudden you'll have this care. But I don't think that actually works and I don't think that's actually right. Or it's actually just like how I started this off. That those, uh, that we love those by showing them, God actually cares for us by showing us profoundly his care for us. Not just by an example that goes, hey, look how much I care for you, by going to the depths of our need and then the extent in which he deals with it. And so my goal today, one uh, one goal, is that maybe all of us, wherever you're at with God, whether you come every week or, or not, I would love you to gather a little bit more about how deep God's care actually is. Wherever you are on the scale of, I don't think he cares for me at all, to, I know he does, and I've got a good understanding of it. Wherever you are on that scale, let's have a look at how deep God cares. And I think uh, that passage today, actually I just want to focus on the first two verses as um, uh, they come up on the screen. These two verses, I think actually, if we understand them deeply, we see God's care. And then it's the, the decision really is whether we think that's actually true or not. That's a, that's a whole other question, isn't it? So what does this verse actually say? We see it up on there on the screen. Let me just open it up so I've got it in front of me as well. We read, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as I think about those verses and think about it, I started thinking this week and I started drawing how it looks. And so that's why I thought I might just draw a bit of it on the whiteboard to give you an idea. Because I actually think if we can get a picture of what's going on about God loves us, if we spend some time actually thinking about it, we, we get a greater, bigger picture of God. Because that verse starts with the negative and it, it, it has to start with the negative because if there's no problem, well then why did Jesus do what he did? And so it starts with the dominion of darkness, alright, so I'll just put dominion, I can't spell so you'll get have fun with that, alright, darkness, so you've got the dominion of darkness, now the thing is, Paul is talking to the Colossians, now they're a church, and this church, they've loved Jesus, he hasn't actually met them, the writer of this letter, and he's actually wanting to encourage them and remind them where they've come from and how much they love Jesus and what Jesus has done for them, and so he says to them, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So this is where the Colossians started. This is their starting point. So this is every person starts here. That's what he's saying. Whatever that means, we haven't talked about that yet, but he starts here. Now here is God's care in a nutshell. That's where you go and he has a rescue plan which goes like that. Over here. 
There's a rescue plan where you start here, but you end up over here. This is our purpose, right? This is what's actually happened. This is what these simple verses actually say is going on. Our purpose is not to just kind of wait around in life and be confused and ignore God, reject God or whatever it is. God has a bigger purpose for us and we can't do anything about it. And so he rescues us is what this verse is saying. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. It's a kingdom of his son and he loves the son. God's plan is all big picture. There's the dominion of darkness. I don't want you to be there. That's not where humanity is supposed to be. That's not how it should work out. But that's the starting point. We'll talk about that a little bit in a moment. But the plan, the rescue, how we know God actually cares for us is because Jesus has made it that we can be rescued And live with the Son forever. From now, he says, for, for uh, what does it say in verse 13? For he has. That's the position that you're in, even though we're not, we're not in this side of, we're on this side of eternity now, but he has rescued us. The king, the king doe. <laughs> no one pointed it out. Usually I get slammed by you all for my spelling. Anyway, the kingdom of the Son, that is the plan. Now I could say that, we could finish the talk there and go, great, God loves us, but I reckon if I did that, for some of us at least, maybe if we haven't thought about it much more, we're going to kind of go, well, yeah, that's good, but so what? Honestly, so what? I get on with my life, what's it really matter, things are good, dominion of darkness, yeah, I'm not there with you on that, I don't really like that much at all anyway, it's very too, very negative and I'm a good person, so it doesn't mean much. But if we go into it a little bit further, I think we understand what this problem is and how glorious this is and even deeper is what Jesus actually did to make that possible and so that's what I want us to see and hopefully you'll be able to come along with me you see because I reckon when it says the dominion of darkness and the bible talks about things like uh, our you know our sin or all different ways to describe a problem we have there's lots of different ways the bible talks about it and here Paul said um, you, you were in the dominion of darkness. And he's saying, you've got a problem with God. You see, you have a problem with God, and this really is something that we don't like. Let's call a spade a spade. We don't like it. It seems irrelevant to us. It seems offensive. And, well, we just kind of sometimes think it's not true. And a good question to ask is, if Jesus is so concerned for us and cares for us so much, why doesn't he just ignore it? Just leave us in there anyway why doesn't that happen but the problem is what we're talking about with this is that our starting point here is that we have a problem with God that's ultimately the issue so in that passage a little bit further on what we actually read is that our problem is so deep that we're described in verse 21 as aliens not, not the aliens that every second movie seems to have in them. The alienated, to be separated, to not belong to. We don't belong to God because we've purposely alienated ourselves from him. That's one way to look at it. But it also says we're his enemy in verse 21. Not because God hates us, it's because we want to be enemies with him. 
And so that stands to reason when we get to our behaviour, our behaviour, in whatever way it looks, in all different types of way, whether it's our pride or whether it's our um, selfishness and, and all sorts of different things, our behaviour in God's eyes is evil because it's rejected him. And so he says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. That's not God being horrendous and negative. That's God pointing out, you've chosen to reject the way that I've made you in kind of every aspect. And how we live kind of reflects that. So this is the starting point. The big question though is whether we truly want to accept it or not. I didn't leave enough room for accept, but I'll just put it up here, accept it or not. There's a big question mark on that. Because the reality is, most of Australia doesn't actually want to consider that and, and we just want to be, try and be nice people but not think about how we relate to God. And so we don't want to accept it, but do, should we? So that's the challenge that we have before us. And I reckon it's a little bit like how we can feel about the footy. How do you feel about the footy? I know all of you have an opinion. Let me outline it a bit more. Maybe you're like uh, Sharon where Sharon is in the Crows or Seb in North Queensland. You're ambivalent and you don't really like the sports and the footy that you follow. That's right, isn't it, Seb? You're a bit ambivalent about the little cowboys. <laughs> no, Sharon, just behind. That's perfect lining up. Those guys are obsessed with their teams and they're rather smug today and it's making me a little sick on the inside. But... You can be you can be totally obsessed. You can be obsessed about your sporting team day and night, do nothing else. I think like Premier League soccer and sometimes those guys go just mental for their teams. Or think about sport and a game, you can be just apathetic. I just, I don't care. I, I, I just think it's kind of stupid. I'm not interested in it. Or you could actually despise sport. Oh, that's fair enough, you can do that, that's a choice, I don't, but you could and that's fine, you just don't like it, it does nothing for you, you're not interested in it at any time and it's a waste of time, that's how you could see it. You can be ambivalent, you can be obsessed, you can despise it, you can even just really be apathetic and just go, yeah, whatever, I might watch next, like both game codes next week, I might watch it, I might not, I'm just not that, I don't have any passion about it. But for some of you, you do. But for me, I'm ambivalent. Now, these all look very different, right? But when it comes to God, whether we're totally obsessed with other things, we've got no time for God because we've made our own gods, or whether we're just apathetic, we're, yeah, whatever, or we despise, we despise and we actually hate God. Or whether, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm happy to kind of consider God and be about him but I'm not really that interested all of those options it's just a different branding of us turning away from God and that I think can be summed up quite simply is just the dominion of darkness is just humanity wanting to be rebels to God that's what it is so that's the starting point now, the question is, and you can ponder it in your own minds, whether you think that's true of you or not. If you don't think that's true, that, then that's really where it ends because Jesus' whole way of knowing how he, he cares for you is because he wants you to know that he wants to rescue from that. But what does this rescue look like? Well, in the verse we read, we have redemption 
Amanda outlined a little bit of that uh, for us um, today already. Redemption is the beautiful thing that happens right here. This redemption, okay, is fantastic. Jesus' redemption. This here means we go from here all the way over to here. How does that work? Well, it means we're being pulled out of something and brought into something else. We're going from here into here. That is what redemption is, is to be pulled out, brought back. The story of the Bible is a story of redemption. It's got one theme all the way through it. The great story of the Exodus. You may have some idea of Moses and what was going on there. That story is about telling us what redemption means. That God took his people, the Israelites, who were slaves in Egypt to the Egyptians and the pharaohs, and he pulled them out of Egypt and they got out of the land and were rescued. That story of redemption shows us what it is. It is to be pulled out. And so how do we know God cares? It's because he's saying, okay, this might be the situation, but I don't want it to be, and so I am going to pull you out of it. That's what he does. That is why we can start to get an idea that God truly does care for us, if that's the case. Because he pulls us out of the thing that we do, even when we're rebels to him. That's a fantastic thing that he has done for us. But I've still got questions. I've still got questions on what does this really look like? I have a problem. You got, you're saying you pulled out, but how does it happen? Maybe it can be any different way. But what we see in Colossians and what we see throughout Jesus' coming is that there's only one way that this can possibly happen. It's got to happen this way. It's got to happen by Jesus dying on the cross for us. Now, I don't know how deep you know about what the cross has done. What Every Easter, Christians celebrate Jesus died for us. But what do we mean when we mean that? We mean that Jesus is pulling us from here to here by dying for us. How does that work? How can that possibly happen? Well, it's because we read in um, a little bit later, actually, I think I'll put it up on the screen because I think it's quite helpful. Jesus made peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, the thing is, we were facing this problem and Jesus wanted not us to be enemies, to be in darkness. He wants us to be in a relationship with his son, the king, into all eternity. And so he wants to bring peace. And peace doesn't happen by going to war. It happens by God himself coming into the world, taking our place and dying for us. His death for us is what actually happens. That is what's spectacular about going from here to here. That we don't do anything good. We don't have to be good people. Jesus God himself comes into the world and says, I am going to deal with your problem. Now just spend a moment considering that. If that is true, there is no greater act of care ever in human history, if that's true. The God, the creator of all things, who gives you every breath, the breath you're breathing right now, while you're a rebel to him, lowers himself into the world, 
goes to the place that you should go so you can be pulled out and be with him forever. You see, no matter how we're feeling, no matter when life is at the lowest pit and life sometimes is so dark, We've had a tough year in that way, haven't we, as a church, and with just health and all sorts of things. Uh, compared to last year, this has been a much tougher year. But no matter how we're feeling, no matter what we're kind of thinking about our current situation, this doesn't change. How does Jesus, how deep does it actually go though? What does Jesus actually achieve on the cross? Well, The fact that we read there that he's making peace indicates something to us. That we don't have peace with God. That he actually does have a problem with the way we've behaved. And we have to own that. That that problem means that there is wrath that needs to be dealt with. And in in the Gospels which talk about Jesus' life, in John's Gospel... The great gospel and those famous verses, John 3.16, which probably many of you could just say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's a few words a little later, which highlight how amazing that is because of how God sees us without Jesus. In John 3.36 John, the writer of the gospel, just after Jesus has um, started his ministry, said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. God's wrath remains on them. That's our starting point. And so this act here, Jesus is taking all of the problem of the world, everything that's done wrong, the wrath, everything. In all of human history, Jesus is coming and taking it on himself so that you and I can be free. I, uh, I've always thought about it like this, a very simple way, but it's helped me remember it when I did it for um, kids ages ago. I think that it kind of simplifies it way too much, but I kind of see it like this. That God has gone, I don't want to have to see you that way, that there to be wrath between us. I just don't want that. But that's the reality. So I am going to deal justly. I'm a just God. I'm going to deal lovingly and justly. I'm going to deal with it. And I'm not going to give it to those who deserve it. So I'm going to deal with it myself. I'm going to take it on myself. And so what happens at the cross is God is facing his wrath for what we have done. That's how much he loves us. He did it willingly. He did it graciously. He did it with everything that he had. He gave his life for us so that we can be free over here that is a really poorly drawn representation of what jesus has done for us we have gone from being um actually in john's gospel another way that talks about it is is that we've gone from being kind of slaves to our rejection of god to being going to free free that is a spectacular picture That is what he's done. Now, if God's done that for us, where do we end up? How does this all play out? Well, God sees us 
free from any accusation. He sees us as forgiven. He sees us as holy and blameless. Now those words are reserved for God. God is holy. The whole Old Testament talks about God being holy, that is, other, perfect, good and just. And when Jesus does this for us, he says, that's how I see you. That's how I think we can start to get a greater picture of how we know God cares for us. Because he does not want us to flounder in life. He wants us to see his son as the king. A king who did this and then rose back to life again. If that's true, we can have great confidence that God cares for us. That's pretty helpful, isn't it? Because it's good to know God cares for us when, uh, with reason, when we feel like other people aren't treating us well. I've treated Jen badly on occasions. I hate doing that. God doesn't treat Jen badly ever. His forgiveness is sure. I had a conversation the other day with someone who was wrestling with the idea of forgiveness, saying, how can I, how can I know that God really forgives me because I, I don't know if I'm going to do enough good. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. If we get this picture and start to wrestle with it, nowhere is there anywhere does it say, so now you do this and God will be happy with you. God doesn't work on that basis. He doesn't work on performance levels. There's no scoring of your performance. It's, you've got a problem, I'll fix it for you. We're in relationship into all eternity. There's a new TV show out on Netflix that I just started to watch, which is kind of bizarre but interesting, called The Good Place. Has anyone else already happened to just run by? It's only just come out. Did you, you see it? Jay, you saw it? Yeah. It's basically uh, Kristen Bell of Veronica Mars, Kristen Bell, is this horrible person. And Ted Danson is an architect. He creates the good place, the place where you go after you die. And there's a good place, and apparently there's a bad place. And the story is, whether you can get to the good place or not, or the bad place. And Kristen Bell, who's this horrible person, treated everyone really, really badly, just was shocking. You see snippets of her life, and she's a pretty, pretty shocking um, person. Somehow, there was a glitch, there was a mistake, and she ends up in the good place. And the good place kind of melts down because she's there. But how did she, how do they end up in the good place or bad place? There's a scoring system. Every good deed you do, you get some points. And every bad deed you do, you get some lower points. And at the end of the day, depending on where your scores are, you'll get to go to the good place or the bad place. It was kind of weird, funny and really interesting. But it was really hard to figure out everyone was based on how good you could possibly be to get to the good place and you had to be super impressive and the problem was those super impressive people were really proud about their impressiveness which I would have thought the proud should have scored their scores much lower and lower and it got too confusing for me but what it reminded me of is the stark difference between this kind of fun silly show 
and how the reality of God. That it's not about good and bad. It's about us all turning from God. And he doesn't differentiate between that in us. He just says, I'm just going to take all of your rejection onto myself. Trust me. See the difference? I think that is worth us considering. That's why over the last two weeks we did this little mini-series on how do I know God cares for us and Kristen who came last week and spoke more on the love aspect of it and, uh, and, and me speaking more on the how it actually happens which points to the love. I really want you to take away the idea that God wants you to be with him. So we're left with two things as we wrap up. We've got the question of whether we accept this reality or not, and that's a big one. But then this doesn't just happen for everyone. How does it become real for you? And it really becomes real for you through trusting, not going back to being a good person again, and that's the way through. It's about trust. Um, Whoever believes in the Son, belief, trust, the same word actually, same idea in in the Bible. Um, that was oh, that was my picture in the end that I drew. I'll leave that there. So, um, do you think that that's actually true? That you have ignored God? Maybe you've wrestled with the fact that He's even there or not. Do you think that's true? Because God's saying, no matter what that's looked like for your life, whether you're the crazy. Crows supporter or North Queensland supporter, it's all obsessed about that and nothing else in life, or whether you're the ambivalent sports person, or whether you're the, the person who's just apathetic about everything. God's saying, I want you to see Jesus and trust in me. That's what turns lives around. For those of you who do love Jesus, you know that's what it is, isn't it? It's not you coming to God with a list of things in one hand. It's God coming from the heavens as a human and taking your place. And so, the one application for today, as we think about, you know, each week we think about how can we live for God and next week as we go into Philippians and talk about how we can live to please God and and look like more like Jesus than we do, The one application today is the starting point. To trust in what God has done for us. That's what I want to encourage all of us to consider, to do. To trust that Jesus has dealt with whatever your life looks like. He's that big. No matter how how rubbish humans have been around you. Even though sometimes you seek to love Jesus, get it so wrong, which we do with each other, don't we? Jesus doesn't. You can trust in him. You know I keep saying every time, uh, so often, that we started Grow for this one reason. Because Christ's love compels us. We want people actually to hear that he loves them. That there was no point us starting this church if we don't have Jesus at the centre and trust in him. And there's no point us continuing on if we don't want others to have a chance to hear it, make a decision for themselves, and then us keep on loving God. Let me pray. 
And as I, as I pray, I want to encourage you to consider whether you need to trust him, whether you need to kind of maybe push it a bit further. You, you, you're not sure what you think. Or whether uh, you'd like to actually talk to someone to help wrestle with it a bit further. That's what we love to do. But let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's, um, it's amazing what you've done. Sometimes we forget that we had turned from you in whatever way it looked. And we, we, we can forget how deep your love and care for us is. You've dealt with what you hate on yourself. Father, we thank you that there is eternity, there is your son, and there is life beyond the grave. Father, we thank you for Grove and we pray that we'll continue to always have the cross at the centre. And while Grove's going, the cross is at the forefront of everything we do. Help us to wrestle with trusting with you, all of us here, to consider that. To trust in your Son. In Jesus' name, Amen.